Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When you hear those words, you can feel good knowing that. State Farm is there to help you feel supported with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. Now, let me tell you, girl, I don't got a boat, a motorcycle, or an RV, but State Farm covers my home and my car. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help protect your future by helping you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And you know what? Getting insurance can be so intimidating because you don't know exactly what you need. So having an agent that could help you with each step makes it so much easier. Girl, I feel you on that. So when things get complicated and you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. Maybe you like to handle things in person or on the phone with your local agent, or you prefer to do it on statefarm.com or on the award-winning app. State Farm lets you do things your way. I personally am the type of gal that likes to do things through an app. It just makes it more easier than going in person or hopping on a call. So I love that they have that option available. Girl, I like to use an app too. I'm not trying to pull up a person or or a call because I'm way too, I have too much social anxiety for that. I'm trying to do it on the app. So that's why I'm here with State Farm. And that is why, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey there, everyone. I'm Sarah Weldon, CEO of Trufinco, a finance company dedicated to helping both budding and established small businesses. I'm thrilled to be hosting Business Perfect Formula, a podcast designed to demystify business funding, real estate investing, and business credit. My goal is to simplify the complexities of alternative lending, showing you that navigating the financial landscape can be straightforward and stress-free. Business Perfect Formula is available wherever you listen to podcasts. How our politics works, everything is made for young people not to be apart. If you don't do politics, then politics will do you. The generation below the current millennials is about action. They are taking situations and, and issues into their hands and they're being a lot more vocal about it. Don't romanticize the youth, but don't also demonize them. This is the Global Goalscast, the podcast that explores if we can change the world. In this episode, are young people the secret to achieving the global goals? We will dive into that question right after this. This episode was made possible thanks to the support of Cisco. And thank you to Harmon, the official sound of Global Goalscast. Welcome back. I'm Edie Lush. And I'm Claudia Romo Edelman. And for this episode of the Global Goals Cast, we want to look at a very big and very basic question. That is right, Edie. We have talked about how big a task it will be to achieve the sustainable development goals and how us, somehow older folks... Hang on, are you calling me old? Of course not. How we owe it to future generations to create this more equal, more sustainable world. The one that the Global Goals envision by 2030. One of the things that is unique about our podcast is the incredible range of partners that we have. More than 12 UN agencies, more than 35 non-for-profits, companies, all of them depositing their trust on us to tell their story. And what we have in common, all of us, is the desire to have a better world. And we know that this framework of the Sustainable Development Goals cannot be achieved without young people getting involved. Right. Here's the thing we want to talk about today. These goals aren't just something we do for the next generations, but with the next generations, or we are never going to get there. 
Exactly. It requires young people's energy, their creativity, and most of all, their new thinking to be the change that is needed on everything, from gender equality to climate change. Not too much to ask, is it? Well, why don't we actually wait until later to answer that question and start with what you found out about what some young people are already doing. Thanks, Claudia. We know that the famous or infamous millennial generation is rapidly becoming the largest demographic group in the world. In some countries, they already are. These are folks as old as 38 and as young as 23. So they're already adults, and even their younger brothers and sisters, that so-called Generation Z, or Generation Z in the UK, are starting to leave <laughs> their teen years. I've been there for too long. So what is their impact already, and what will it be between now and 2030? To find out, I started by meeting several young people who are already working hard on the future. The range is breathtaking. One is using Tinder in London to encourage voter registration. In both Africa and Latin America, I found others working to get more young people and women to run for office. But let's start in Nepal with a fight to end the ostracism of women during their periods. I went to England and I did my Master's of Public Health from there. I found an organization called iRise International who were working with menstrual hygiene in East Africa and I introduced them to this problem in Nepal and then when I came back I got a couple of my friends together and I said guys we have to do something about this so we started an NGO called Kalyani which is a youth-led organization because it's all of my friends uh, from uh, undergrad and we work specifically in menstrual hygiene. That's Aditi Sharma. She's a young leader with our fantastic partner Women Deliver, describing something we found all over the world. Young women and men banding together, working in teams as a community to address whatever problem most concerned them. So it started in 2011 when I took a trip to the far western region of Nepal and I found out about this practice called Taupari, which was uh, rampantly practiced there uh, where women and girls were banished to outdoor sheds during their periods because they were considered impure and untouchable. Coming from Kathmandu where I was uh, you know, raised in a very liberal family, I was shocked that you know my counterparts in the rural areas of Nepal were suffering so that's how I started working in women's health and especially menstrual hygiene. Aditi created a small NGO with her friends from university and raised money to work in western Nepal. I heard this same idea all around the world let's get together and get something done. For me the key reason why I really got involved in like political participation and voter engagement and voter registration was because once I realized that all the issues I care about are political, then that means that I need to be involved in politics. Kenny Amafedon, he's an ambassador for another great partner of ours, One Young World. I come from a place called Peckham in southeast London, which is considered as a very deprived community growing up. And when he was just 17, Kenny was arrested with several of his friends and right after his 18th birthday charged as an adult with murder. His friends went to prison, but Kenny's case was thrown out. A very narrow escape indeed. That just truly was, for me, just a, a life-changing moment. And it was just something which just changed my whole perspective on life, truly. Kenny, now 24 years old, wants to make things better for kids like him. It's very fundamental if 
decisions are being made about people like us and we're not involved in that process then of course injustice is going to continue if that makes sense mm -hmm. and I feel like no matter the issue you care about whether it's around criminal justice, the environment, housing, inequality politics is at the heart of it and if people are not participating then there's going to be problems like I always say if you're not at the table where decisions are made then that means you're on the menu. So how do you increase political participation for young people, especially from those coming from marginalized communities? The major irony in politics is that those who are most affected by the decisions that politicians make are the ones who are least likely to participate. And as a result, we are the ones who, when there's time for cuts to be made, we suffer the most. And that's mainly because a lot of these politicians don't feel like there'll be any backlash from them making such decisions. And particularly with young people, you can just look at someone like the UK, to use as, a, use as an example. You look at what young people get compared to what much older voters who vote get. And there's, there's massive differences. The main thing has been around actually truly empowering people to know their rights and to understand that actually that if you don't do politics, then politics will do you. We were the organization who coordinated the National Voter Registration Drive, which, which is the most successful registration drive in any Western democracy. And we partnered with people like Uber, for example. When people ordered their Uber during the week of National Voter Registration Drive, whilst they was on the app, they would get a message whilst they're waiting for their cab, and the Uber usually takes three minutes to come. Um, during that time, they get a message that flashes up on their screen that says, "Don't be a, don't be a passenger on the decisions affecting your life. Register to vote now." Tell me about how it worked with Tinder. And, and Tinder, whilst people were swiping, doing what they do on Tinder, mm -hmm. they would see, they would see one of our cards come up, mm -hmm. and then we actually done two campaigns with them. One, they see our card come up, and then they do a quiz, and then after the quiz, they encourage to register to vote. Hmm. And then we also done one where it was just like a photo and then once they click on it they get a message that kind of just tells them, look, you need to go and register. Hmm. We were bringing the conversation to where people already are. In both Latin America and Africa, I spoke to women who are going a step further, increasing voting and running for office too. I spoke to Tabata Amaral de Pontes, a One Young World ambassador, who grew up in Sao Paulo, one of the largest cities in the world. It became clear with the years that if I really wanted to change education in Brazil, I needed to change, change politics. But the party system here and just how our politics works, everything is made for young people not to be apart and for like normal people, common people to be scared and not engage in politics. So that's why together with friends from all over Brazil, we are in 15 states out of the 27, we decided to found political movement. Our biggest goal is to fight inequality in Brazil and we want to engage ordinary people in politics again. We are building our own agenda to fight inequality. We always invite people in our nuclei around Brazil to do politics in a daily basis, so there's so much we can do because our politicians 
are really not used to having us mobilizing and engaging and protesting and so on. And we also selected by voting 24 leaders all over Brazil to represent the movement in this year's election. And that's amazing because if I was alone, there was no way I would be a candidate this year. But when I saw the possibility of doing that with people that I trust, that come from similar backgrounds as mine, and at the same time represent the diversity of Brazil, entering politics for the right reasons, that gave me a lot of motivation and hope and courage, maybe. What interesting story, City, and always that idea. Together with friends. Like us. As Tabata was putting it exactly, like us this morning working out before coming here or yesterday when we were at the United Nations when you were getting your award. I know, which I brought into the studio with me. And it's such a great award, Media for Social Impact from the United Nations. Because now you made the Global Goals Cast an award-winning podcast. Yes. yes. Okay, <laughs> so, but first something new and special for us here at the Global Goals Cast. We have sponsors, and our new sponsor is Cisco, that has been powering the internet since 1984. I didn't even know the internet existed then. And they have a story they want us to share with you. I, Putri, have called together this group of extraordinary teams. Adrian, Bila, Khalil, Christina, and Satoshi. We are the global problem solvers. So many crises in the world require creativity and teamwork to solve. So that was a clip from the Global Problem Solvers, a cartoon that Cisco created as part of an education program. I spoke to Tai Yu, Senior Vice President of Corporate Affairs at Cisco, and Katie Clemens, Director of Youth Entrepreneurship and Innovation from the Arizona State University, about the work they are doing to inspire young people. Wow, those are long titles. <laughs> The youth will be the future leaders of countries, captains of industries, the innovators who solve some of the world's toughest challenges. And so Cisco is always banked on the young people and uh, the future potential of the youth and what they can do. We also wanted to make sure that we work with youth in the middle school and below area to really create this web series. It's called the Global Problem Solvers, the series. And this is a web series for students who are, are younger than our traditional uh, youth programs and help these students explore entrepreneurship, learn life skills, and basically how to use technology for social good. The schools that we work with all are high-need schools in underserved communities, and the students throughout the course of the year, they watched the GPS series, but along the way, they also came up with their own new idea for a solution to a challenge in their community. So they learned the entrepreneurial process, and then they actually got to apply it at the same time. The feedback that we got from both students and teachers was that it was incredible to have 11, 12, 13-year-olds in these real-world situations where they are truly tackling something that impacts them in their community. And then they're also thinking about it at a global level, too. We're experiencing this here, but how are other people experiencing this across the world? The animation series is designed for people in middle school and below because we want them to develop an entrepreneurial muscle and then be able to exercise that muscle on a regular basis so you come of age confident 
convinced that you have the capability to be a global problem solver and then to be able to work globally as a team, many times just virtually, you can still have a dramatic impact and become a true social entrepreneur. They want to help solve problems of tomorrow. They want to know how to do that. The I want is the easier part. The I can is the tougher one. And we really work with programs like this on building their self-efficacy. They want to change the world through technology, but how do we help show them that they really can do it? Welcome back. More from that Cisco program later. And we'll also hear from the kids who were inspired by the global problem solvers. We like talking about companies that are doing good. I think that our audience and consumers want to know where to make their choices. Now, Edie, let's go back to our discussion of the next generation. There is always a next generation. That sounds like Star Trek. So the question is, how is this one any different? So I think I know the answer. It's the engagement of women and therefore women's voices being heard much more, and the issues they care about being heard. Claudia, you remember Aditi, who's working in menstrual health in Nepal. So as a member of Generation X, I'm not that much older than her, but I can't ever remember discussing periods outside of sex education class. I wanted to see if this was a broader theme, so I spoke to a friend of mine, Lali Khalili. She's a professor of Middle East politics at SOAS, University of London, and an author of several excellent books about the Middle East. One of the things that made 2011 in some ways very different than past revolutionary or moments of revolt in Europe, in North America, in parts of the world, say 1968, and it was a very significant one, was the extent to which in everywhere, I'm thinking Bahrain, I'm thinking Yemen, I'm thinking Egypt, even Syria before the civil war broke out, how much women were not only figureheads, not only people who appeared on, say, video streaming or news reports, but actually in the organizing of protests and events, how much young women were at the forefront of the youth activism. And I think that this is one of those big changes that has happened that is that has partially to do with the changes in the political economy of most countries, where more and more women are becoming educated and are stepping into the workforce. And they're facing some of the same problems that uh, the young men are facing in economies which have slowed down or are sluggish. So on the one hand, they're very educated, and on the other hand they can't get jobs but what is particularly interesting is that of course in all societies there's a lot more social pressure on women to conform to certain gendered norms of behavior even in places which have progressive reputations women are still considered to be as much significant for their biological functions for example for their ability to bear children as they are for being members of the society earning or being active or whatnot. And what makes it particularly interesting in the Arab world was how much the young women who stepped forward rejected these gendered norms. They fought alongside the men. Uh, they were as articulate, if not more articulate than the men. And in many instances, some of the courage they showed, for example, Maryam al-Khawaja in, in Bahrain in sitting in while the police was trying to drag her out of the, of the square where the protests were going out, or a number of the women who organized not only in Tahrir Square in Cairo but also in the factories in the suburbs of Cairo and the women were at the forefront of this and I think that this is really exciting and it's something that we should watch out for. So a big new dynamic we're seeing more and more young women working in the public sphere. Like Isa Tupitaye, she's a young leader from our amazing partner Women Deliver 
from The Gambia, and she is passionate about increasing female representation in politics. Women at about 13% in the current parliament, which is quite low, because if you look at the history of Gambian politics, women have always been participating. They have always been voting. They have always been mobilizing and campaigning for men who are running for elections. We have a new new government, and the, according to the information coming out from the government, there will be a new constitution. So we believe that women should equally be represented in decision-making. At least they should meet the UN recommendation of 30% in all decision-making level. Also, we will riding and lobbying and also talking to people that have influence in the political parties to ensure that the political parties have constitutions that are gender friendly because most of the political parties have women as members but when you look at the party structures if you have 15 people who are executive members of the party maybe just four or three are women that's not gender balanced so we're talking to parties to make sure at least they have more women or equal women as men in their party executive committees let's hear more from tabata amaral de pontes running for congress in brazil she finds that for her Running for office means breaking the current political system. You need to be affiliated to a party in order to run in Brazil. We have 35 parties, which is a lot. They don't represent 35 projects of Brazil. They're just institutions that have access to public funding and basically have the monopoly of deciding who is going to run or not. Our parties uh, don't have internal voting to decide the candidates. They are required by law to have 30% of their list dedicated to women. But that doesn't mean anything when you see that the women in the parties are not receiving funding, visibility and so on. And that's the same for young people. So in order for you to appear in a party's list, to receive funding, to receive visibility, TV time, etc. Probably you are son or brother or nephew of someone important in politics. I have friends all over the world who identify with the sentiment we have here in Brazil regarding politics. That it's not made for us, it doesn't represent us, and it's time for us to do something and take our future back. In a minute, we're going to ask that question. Are we expecting too much from the next generations? But first, the rest of that inspiring story from our sponsor, Cisco, on their Global Problem Solvers program. You got it. During the first series, a team of students is in Malawi, and they come across this problem that there are contaminated and broken wells in, the home, in their home community. Two million people in Malawi don't have access to clean drinking water. 3,000 children die each year as a result. So that's causing lots of challenges, including students having to walk quite a long way to access clean water. They're not able to be in school during that time. And, and as they dive deeper into the problem, they just realize that the impact is much more than they ever could have imagined. The demand in Malawi is simple, Christina. Clean drinking water. They brainstorm and they brainstorm and they devise this network of sensors. So they start to set up this network and they test it and they run into problems along the way. And one of those is extreme flooding. So they have a flooding situation and they have to really stop and say, okay, let's go back and we need to figure out how we're going to overcome this and work together. And it really shows you that 
entrepreneurship and innovation is a process. They have their challenges, they work through them, and then they come up with a business plan. Hey guys, remember when I was diving in Lake Malawi? I realized that we need to involve local people in our solution for it to succeed. That's right, Kelly. Finally, at the end, they share their new social enterprise. And they begin spreading it more widely, and they begin marketing and, and sharing via social media. And they have this final functioning company and entity that they've come up with. Idea is a watch that can contact the police with just a simple touch of a button. It has gestures. Um, you can customize it. You know, it comes in different colors, and it's very cheap. Cheaper than most watches. You know. I get to help people around the world with flooding. So our project that we're doing is a device that helps detect you drowning and it can save many people's lives. We started off not knowing anything and we went on knowing more about technology and marketing business. I enjoyed working with my friends and just coming up with ideas that can help change the world, you know. You never get to do this when you're this young and you know, it kind of prepares you for when you're older. It's inspired my goals because it helps me want to help more people and the community with problems they have every day. To help others around you, don't be selfish, basically, to help people in need. There's more people that need help, and I have the power to help them create something that could really change the world. Encourage everyone to check out gpstheseries.com. There are tons of great resources there. We would love for you all to provide feedback, share it with schools and, and your own children, students you know, educators, uh, and then you can download the teacher's guide on GPS Series website, gpstheseries.com. We are all global problem solvers, and collectively, we can solve the biggest, most challenging issues that we face in the world today. I'm a global problem solver. I'm a global problem solver. I am a global problem solver. I am a global problem solver. I am a global problem solver. Tai Yu from Cisco, Katie Clemens from the Arizona State University, and some of the children taking part in the Global Problem Solvers Program. So, Edie, we tend to get very excited about all the changes young people bring with their energy and enthusiasm. But do we sometimes get too excited? Are we putting too much on them? Excellent question. Selena DeSola, she's coming to us from our partner Global Dignity, is 42. And she is at times exasperated by the millennial generation. The generation below the current millennials is about action. And yes, there's social media, but I really feel confident that they are taking situations and, and issues into their hands and they're being a lot more vocal about it. Will that translate into political participation? I'm not sure yet because they're coming into the age when they can vote. So that we'll see in Nicaragua, for example, the entire movement was driven by young university students and even younger students. So I, I think there's definitely some things are turning around. We really need to really propel that forward in the most constructive way because it can also be destructive if it's, you know, if we don't give them the tools and the information. Kenny also has cautionary words about his generation. So the one thing I would definitely will say is that, yes, millennials are definitely more socially conscious than older generations, that is for sure. However, there's also a lot of research that shows that despite millennials being more socially conscious, 
and stating that they care about things. However, they're the least likely generation to actually do something about it. Right. <laughs> that's a bit scary, isn't it? Yeah, and also that's because given the world of online we're now in and the rise of clicktivism, as you can call it, uh-huh. a lot of people feel like once I've expressed it online, then that's really it. And Lolly Khalili says we shouldn't project our hopes and dreams onto a vast generation. The youth are often romanticized. We see them, we hear about them as agents of change. We hear about them as sort of progressive forces for the future, partially because of the ways in which the, the creativity of the youth in changing popular culture is so incredibly visible. We tend to think of them as perhaps an outsized kind of a category for the transformation of the social. This also happens in the negative sense, in the, in, in the sense that a lot of fear-mongering, for example, about the Middle East tends to pivot around the figure of disaffected, unemployed youth who tend to outnumber jobs and therefore because they're unemployed and bored they're going to be radicalized. Both of those cliches don't take account of the fact that youth are different in different times and in different places. They come from different social classes. They, they come from very different kinds of backgrounds. They come from different kinds of exposure to degrees of activism. Before we wrap up, Claudia, I want to share one more observation. This is from Tabata, 24, running for office in Brazil. We always say that people in Brazil, they should be less radical on their ideologies, their ideas, and more radical on their practice. So in a world plagued by polarization and partisanship, that is a pretty radical thought. And it may well be that the biggest change underway is the new thinking of younger people disillusioned by politics as they knew it, eager for action and practical solutions. But we know also that today we're at these crossroads where we're the first generation that can eradicate extreme poverty for all, but we're also the last generation that can stop and mitigate the impact of climate change. And for the first time in history, we can elevate the playing field for all. There is no way to achieve a better world without the young people really taking control and being powered. So now for the part in our show when we give you three facts to help you look smart in front of your mother-in-law, as well as three actions you can take. Here are the three facts. Number one, the number of youth between 15 and 24 years of age is 1.1 billion. That constitutes 18% of the global population. Fact number two is given to us by Selena Dussola. We know that two hours a week of after-school clubs improves kids' grades in math, science, in reading, and also makes them more resilient than their peers. So basically, it's through play, right? It's learning through play. So doing two hours of something really fun, if it's well curated, can actually not just improve your life skills, but also your academic performance, your conduct, and your resilience. And fact number three, 53% of global millennials say they often support causes on social media but don't act in the offline world. 
I love the third fact because it talks about young people be buying with their beliefs and voting with their hearts, taking action and believing in purpose. And it also raises that concern about clicktivism. Like, just because I like something on Twitter or Facebook doesn't mean I've taken any action. Or does it mean that there are enough actions for people to take if they have their heart in the right place? Maybe it's just about making sure that people know what actions they can be taken. So here are some actions coming to us from some of the people we spoke to. Here's Lolly Khalili. Don't romanticize the youth, but don't also demonize them. That means that don't necessarily imagine that just because the youth numbers are increasing, that means that there's going to be radicalization or instability or whatnot. But don't also imagine that youth are going to be the foot soldiers of progressive causes. They can very easily be attracted to quite right-wing or quite destructive forms of mobilization. Next one comes to us from our partner, Women Deliver, from Lori Edelman. She's the director of youth engagement. Support the youth advocates in your community. See them, support them. Don't just offer them a seat at the table. Don't just call them the future of our world, but offer them actual resources, support, and capacity building so that they can engage today. And if your listeners are interested to continue these conversations, the Women Deliver 2019 conference taking place in Vancouver in June 2019 is a great place to do that. And finally, Aditi Sharma. We could start with destigmatizing uh, menstruation. Uh, and it's just simple things, you know, like stop using euphemisms, for example, like stop trying to hide your sanitary products from other people. Just talking openly about menstruation. The last action that we always recommend for you to take is to read factfulness, to believe that the world is making progress and be engaged in the change that you can be. So thank you for listening. Please subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Global Goals Cast. And like, subscribe, and download our latest episodes. That was Edi Losh, and I am Claudia Romo Edelman. And this is the Global Goals Cast. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for the ongoing support of our partners. UN Foundation, World Food Program, UNICEF, Malaria No More. Roll Back Malaria, UNDP SDG Action Campaign, the United Nations, Project Everyone, IDLO, the International Office for Migration, Action Button, Global Dignity, Woman Deliver, One Young World, Gavi, Save the Children, Red, Apolitical, UN University, Slow Food, Mercy Corps, and Eunice Social Business. Music in this episode was by Andrew Phillips, Angelica Garcia, Simon James, Ashish Pillawal, and Ellis. This podcast is powered by CBS News Digital. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
Hey there, everyone. I'm Sarah Weldon, CEO of Trufinco, a finance company dedicated to helping both budding and established small businesses. I'm thrilled to be hosting Business Perfect Formula, a podcast designed to demystify business funding, real estate investing, and business credit. My goal is to simplify the complexities of alternative lending, showing you that navigating the financial landscape can be straightforward and stress-free. Business Perfect Formula is available wherever you listen to podcasts.